This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 29th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, county drafts sweeping new solar regulations, town council to discuss festivals, parklets, and planning, capital conversation looks to legislation, and a mountain weather forecast. San Miguel County is adding a whole new chapter to its land use code. Of this new and seventh chapter, or article, County Planning Director Kay Simonson explains. The intent is to facilitate the development of solar energy systems while mitigating the impacts of such development. So, you know, we've got two goals. Um, You know, there is the goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and then, but we also want to make sure that we fully mitigate the impacts of the development. Eventually, the county intends to move regulations for other natural resources under this chapter or article as well. But the county is beginning with solar because it has no existing regulations in place for large utility-scale solar development. In the spring of 2023, the company One Energy Renewables announced plans for a 600-acre development on Wrights Mesa outside of Norwood. The proposal raised community concern and pushback. In response, in May of 2023, county commissioners placed a six-month moratorium on solar applications. The moratorium was later extended for another six months, and it's now set to expire on May 15th of this year. In the meantime, the county has been drafting regulations for solar applications of all sizes. You know, first we uh, selected our consultant, uh, Sullivan Green CV, uh, to start. And then in October of this last year, we had a community open house in Norwood to gather public input on, on you know, everybody's ideas and thoughts about solar and natural resources. That public input was combined with research, legal advice, and guidance from those consultants to produce a draft of the regulations. Simonson came before a joint session of the County Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners last week to present the draft. The regulations divide up development into three categories. First, there's large-scale solar, ground-mounted solar arrays occupying 20 acres or more. Um, and these really are at utility level. Medium scale is roof-mounted solar arrays with a rate of capacity of more than 250 kilowatts or ground-mounted solar arrays occupying more than one half an acre and less than 20 acres. So this is uh, the community scale size that we've seen, the uh, SAMPA project out at Norwood or Tim Erdman's project up above the airport. Lastly, small-scale solar is a rooftop grid for home use or a small panel set on less than half an acre. The three levels come with three different approval processes. The first two must be seen by the county and or the planning commissioners, while small-scale solar is approved through administrative review, handled more or less entirely by staff. The purpose of last week's meeting was to hear input from commissioners and from the public on this very first draft. Public comment brought forth a list of diverse and pressing concerns, with some renewable energy advocates calling for expediency. Meanwhile, many Wrights Mesa residents voiced an opposite concern, asking for a slowdown to consider impacts on Gunnison sage grouse, the community's dark sky status, impacts to area view sheds, noise concerns, fire preparedness, water, and so on. 
with a proposal echoed by others. Wright Mesa resident Art Goodtimes adds his comment. I think there's a very simple uh, solution here. Let's just remove the Wrights Mesa Rural Ag Zone District and the Wrights Mesa Zone District from the large-scale industrial solar regulations. That's very simple. All you've got to do is take out this area that really is inappropriate. Planning Commission Chair Lee Taylor agrees. As the code is written, he's concerned that if faced with a quote-unquote perfect large-scale proposal in the Wrights Mesa area, the commissioners couldn't really say no. There's no mechanism to deny a 200-acre solar farm that represents that it's going to mitigate all of its wildlife, water quality, scenic quality impacts. Yet, I'm pretty sure somebody would get strung up if we did that. Consultant Tori Jamis, who's worked extensively on drafting codes, says rather than banning something outright, it's usually better to set up barriers, which the community can interpret on a case-by-case basis. The way that we do that is we put the burden on the applicant to show reports, plans, and studies. And those reports, plans, and studies are what give um, you all, the Planning Commission and the board, the basis for your decision-making at the hearing. And then you introduce evidence from other folks like, like who we heard from today. In other words, she says, the county could say no if enough of the public felt impacts had not been mitigated. It is, she says, up to the discretion of the decision makers. For their part, solar developers who were in attendance felt the restrictions were sufficiently onerous to kill any project going forward. Nathan Stotler works with One Energy. He says they're still hoping to apply for a solar development in the county, but... From an industry perspective here, these regulations that are clearly well-intended are currently suffering from a lack of understanding of how medium and large-scale solar facilities are developed, financed, constructed, and operated. Stoller goes on to say the regulations contain, quote-unquote, poison pills, which would make any utility-scale development unviable. The day was devoted to the drafting and information-gathering process, and county staff will consider commissioner and public input as they update the draft in anticipation of a future work session this spring. While the county promised progress, expediency was not a top priority as commissioners express a willingness to extend the moratorium, if necessary, for another six months. On Tuesday, January 30th, Telluride Town Council is headed back to the Rebecca Hall Chambers and to the Kodo Airwaves. In today's edition of G is for Gov, Geneva Seanette previews an agenda packed with pithy discussions from parklet design to festival capacity to the fate of the Carhenge parking lot and the base area of Lift 7. Hey Geneva, so let's start and uh, take us through these three morning work sessions. So our first work session is going to be uh, regarding the base of Chair 7 design and planning. Um, We've had some planning uh, of that area going on already with uh, the town manager and Telski, and we're going to continue with our consultants to develop the, the public process for that whole project. 
And then after that, we're going to be talking um, with Stephanie Jacquet about festival events and our municipal municipal code as it relates to ticket maximums um, and fees and all that sort of thing. And then last, our last work session scheduled for 11 a.m. is regarding design guidelines for our parklets um, to try and get a little more symmetry among the designs for the structures that people have been putting, uh, that businesses have been putting out for guests to enjoy the outdoors in the summertime. Well, that all sounds like juicy stuff. Now in the afternoon, I understand we've got some votes on issues which listeners might be familiar with. Uh, Give us some details. So the first one is going to be at 110. It is uh, a second reading of approving our new noise ordinance, which I'm sure people have heard about um, that has to do with construction. After that, uh, we're going to be talking about general term limits and different amendments to how we structure our boards and commissions um, to try and allow more participation from the community on all of the town boards and commissions. Uh, And then case funding recommendations for 2024 that we will be approving. Okay, is there anything else uh, we should put on our radar for tomorrow? I guess we're going to be having the manager's report and sales tax and rent reports and council reports in the morning tomorrow. So if you like to hear those, tune in at 1130 a.m. and we'll be hearing those right before lunch. Sounds great. Thanks uh, for your time today, Geneva. See you tomorrow. Thanks, Gavin. That was Councilmember Geneva Shawnette giving us a preview of Tuesday's town council meeting. Last week, reporting from the Denver Post revealed that Republican House Minority Leader Mike Lynch had covered up charges for drunk driving and firearm possession, dating to an incident back in 2022. The revelation led him to resign from leadership last week. In our latest Capital Conversation, our State House reporter, Lucas Brady Woods, dives right into the details of the Republican caucus and their leadership change, which went down last week. He ended up resigning on the House floor. And then last Thursday, um, his caucus met to choose a new leader, and they elected Representative Rose Puglisi, who's from Colorado Springs. Uh, she was the assistant minority leader under Mike Lynch, and now she is serving as majority leader. Cool. Well, with some early session leadership changes and a little scandal behind us, let's move on to the actual legislating. What issues have come to the forefront in these early days? So housing is definitely top of mind for lawmakers, as it has been for a long time. This this probably comes as no surprise to uh, anyone that's been following the legislature, housing, 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 as far as Colorado's concerned. Um, and it, they're looking at a variety of things this year, one of which would be uh, more protections for renters. And this is actually a bill that um, failed last year. Another one is that would that would benefit renters, especially is a bill that would ban occupancy limits. So there are a number of towns uh, in Colorado, towns and cities in Colorado, that limit the number of people can live under one roof. A lot of these sometimes are college towns, and and this bill would do away with those. So, Lucas, I realize we've also got a potpourri of bills kind of just coming in from different directions. Is there anything we should have on our radar um, in particular? There's some really interesting legislation coming out of the Black Caucus. Um, they are putting forward 
a bill that would launch a, a state-sponsored study into racial disparities, specifically the legacy of slavery and the systemic racism that exists and, you know, manifests itself with inequities in areas like uh, housing, health care, education, incarceration, criminal justice. Black Coloradans are, are held back in a lot of these areas. This study would really uh, launch an official analysis of that and come up with some solutions, some pol- potential policy solutions for closing those racial disparities. All right, Lucas, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Always happy to talk. Thanks for having me. That was KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. New regulations are looking to limit the types of hardware which climbers can use to scale cliffs and rocks in federal wilderness areas. Climbers are pushing back. Last week, the Teton Climbers Coalition in Wyoming sent a message to federal agencies arguing the restrictions could make climbers unsafe. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Myersbach reports. The new rules from the National Park Service and Forest Service would allow fixed anchors on only a case-by-case basis. These are most often metal rings drilled into rocks that climbers thread ropes through to lower themselves down. They're installed throughout the Tetons in places like the Grand. Those are pretty much invisible to anybody who is not doing the climb and not actively looking for them. Charlie Thomas with the Climbers Coalition helped write the letter to the federal agencies. He says these anchors are also used in emergencies when a lightning storm rolls in and climbers need to get to low ground. And removing them means people would have to look for other ways to get down. Which would not only be not safe, but it would also potentially create a much greater impact on the wilderness area because then people are going to have to create descent trails. But some conservationists supporting the rules say they're essential to limit impacts on the environment. The National Park Service and Forest Service are accepting comments on the proposed rules through the end of the month. Hannah Mersbach, K-12 News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a clear night tonight with a low near 25 degrees. Tuesday, sunny skies should bring a high around 40, and Tuesday night, clear skies remain with a low near 25. Expect more sun on Wednesday and another clear night. The high is near 40, and the low is around 25. This has been the news for Monday, January 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.